Turn your Bibles, if you would, today as we begin to Luke chapter 11. And again, it's so good to see every single one of you. And I, th- I know the Lord has blessed us already with a great camp meeting, uh, the services that we've had. I oh, just thank God for it. And most of all, I'm thankful for the spirit that we have felt in this place starting, starting Wednesday night. You could sense the presence of God. There was no working up to it. God just gave us his presence, and thank God for that. We're going to begin today as we began yesterday in Luke chapter 11, and beginning with verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, that was Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, which we will uh, begin to st- we'll study Matthew's version tomorrow. But that is st- the disciples made that statement in verse 1. I think that's one of the most remarkable statements, some of the most incredible words ever spoken from a mouth of a child of God. When he said to Jesus, when he said to our Savior, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And he was also implying, Lord, help us to pray. Lord, we're looking to you to help us. We're looking to you to teach us. Because, Lord, we want to pray. Lord, we want to pray. Hallelujah. And so that's been our theme yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're going to continue with that today. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray right now. Father, we just come before you today in the name of Jesus. And God, we're so thankful for the moving and operation of your Holy Spirit that we have felt already in this camp. And we thank you, Lord, for what tonight, or what, for today, Lord, for what you are going to do and what you shall do throughout the rest of the camp. We thank you, Lord, for it. And God, we ask you, Lord, for your anointing to minister, your anointing to receive, that you would touch us today, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just quickly in review of what we covered yesterday, yesterday as we began, we looked at a very simplistic definition of what prayer is. Prayer is just simply talking with God. You get that? Just talking to God. And not just, again, not just talking to some dead, dry, stone or metal Buddha somewhere, but talking to a living God. The God. Hallelujah. As we said yesterday, we have the privilege as God's children to go to our God, the God, our Father at any time. Hallelujah. And get this, that's a privilege I said, that's a privilege. It's not some religious duty that we go through that that God has placed upon us, some some burden that you have to you have to pray. As if if we have to pull our mats out. 
and just go back and forth as if, we, as if it's some kind of religious duty. No, that's not what God gave us. We're, we, as God's children, this is God's intention, that we are in a living, ongoing, loving relationship with our God. And that we talk to him, and he talks back to us. Hallelujah. You mean God talks to you? Oh, yes, he does. He talks to his children. And as you know, the main way he talks to us is he has spoken to us through his word. But in prayer as well, the Holy Spirit at times will impress upon us a word, maybe remind us of scripture. He'll impress upon us a song. He'll speak to us. He'll convict us. It's an ongoing relationship. We talk to God, he talks back to us. Just like even a relationship in the natural. And I was thinking about it this morning as in preparing for today. You know that one of the signs that you know that a relationship is not in good shape, it's not good when people stop talking. <laughs> right? When people stop talking, you know that there's something really bad there wrong in the relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship or a friend relationship, but you and I have a relationship with God, and I thank God you and I can talk to him in prayer. And so we looked at that yesterday. Prayer includes three things. It includes three main parts, and we get this from the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11 and also Matthew chapter 6. There are three main aspects of prayer, three main parts of prayer and that Jesus brought out in the Lord's Prayer. And those things are, first of all, relationship. He said, when you come to God, you come to God as your Father. And you and I have a relationship with God as our Father through the blood of his Son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Through Jesus and through our faith in the finished work of Christ, we have a relationship with God as our Father. He is our Father. In fact, He's more of our Father because we're saved now, because we've been bought with the blood of Jesus. God is more our Father than even our earthly Father is. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. God is more our Father than even our earthly Father is. And thank God for that because on this earth, I thank God for earthly fathers, but earthly fathers will fail us. They're, not per they're far from perfect. They'll fail us, but your heavenly Father will never fail you. Hallelujah. And our heavenly, your heavenly Father loves you more than you and I could ever imagine. Your heavenly Father. And so we go to God, we go to him in the name of Jesus. But we approach him as our Father. Hallelujah. Through what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And so he begins the Lord's Prayer with first of all identifying relationship. You and I are in relationship with God. And then the second aspect of prayer is worship. Again, we're just reviewing quickly what we covered yesterday. Worship, praise and worship. Jesus said, hallowed be thy name. And one of the major aspects of prayer is just th simply thanking God, worshiping him, thanking him again for what he's done in our life. 
just thanking him for who he is and what he's done. And if you have a hard time thanking God for what he's done, as I said yesterday, begin with the, what you might think as the insignificant things. Begin with the little things. Just start thanking God for the breath that's in your lungs. I know that the Lord dealt with me about this years ago when I was a young person growing up in the Lord. And I remember one day I just went to the Lord and I was praying and, and uh, I just, and, and it was really the Holy Spirit that helped me with this. I had a hard time. I was, I was thinking, okay, I got to thank the Lord, you know. I got to thank God. I got to thank God about something. And I was a young person, yeah, I, just, I was just a teenager, you know, and in my mind I thought, you know, man, I gotta, gotta thank God for something, but I couldn't think of anything. You ever been there before? I don't know, maybe you, maybe you haven't, you know. May, I know for myself, I, for that one day, I mean, I just couldn't think of anything. And the Holy Spirit began to remind me and lay it upon my heart, you know what, you got a lot to be thankful for, buddy. <laughs> And he, he let, impressed upon my heart to start thanking him for the little thing, for what I thought was little. Air in your lungs is not little. <laughs> but we think of it as insignificant. And if you have a hard time, if you ever go through a process and, or a time or season in your life where you think, well, I don't have anything to be thankful for, start thanking him for what you think is the insignificant things, like the clothes upon your body that you have hair on your head, if you have hair on your head. If you don't have hair on your head, thank him for a head. Hallelujah. Thank him for it, thank him for it all. Thank him for a home to live in. Thank him for the clothes on your body. Most of all, thank him for saving you. Hallelujah. Thank him for sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. Thank him for his grace. Even when you don't feel it, Thank him anyway. Hallelujah. And after you start thanking him for a while, after you start praising him for a while, I guarantee you'll feel it after a while. One of the main aspects of prayer is thanking him, praising him. It's hard to defeat a praising Christian. Lifting up God, praising him for who he is and what he's done. And the last aspect of prayer is petitioning. Petitioning, which simply means asking. And there's a lot involved in this third one, asking. It, could, it, ref, it can refer to a lot of different things. Asking God to forgive us. Asking God to send the Holy Spirit in a greater way. Asking God to save our unsaved loved ones. Asking God to give us this day our daily bread. Asking God to lead us not into temptation. Or don't allow, Lord, don't allow temptation to overwhelm me. That's petitioning. That's asking. And you and I, we've got a lot to be thankful for. <laughs> and we've got a lot to ask God for. All right? <laughs> every, every class that we have in the Bible college, uh, we, we have a time of devotion. Uh, and, I, and normally in my classes, except in the... And uh, the freshman class, some of the freshman classes, I'll just lead in prayer and I'll ask the class, or any, any prayer requests or, or, or testimonies this morning? That's how, how we begin every class. Any prayer requests or testimonies? And sometimes the students, they're, they're, they're tired, like we all get tired, and, and uh, uh, but nobody will say anything. They just, 
It's to be expected at times, and nobody will say anything. And sometimes I'll tell them, well, does anybody have anything to be thankful for? And all the hands go up. All right, does anybody need, uh, need anything? Uh, this is a big one. Does anybody need money? All that, oh, the heads always go up then. We have always something to be thankful for, and we always have things to ask him for. So three aspects of prayer, relationship, worship, and petitioning. In our prayer life, those are the three main aspects of prayer. And you're at, you'll get this, every time you spend time with, with God in prayer or every time you, you call upon the Lord, it doesn't mean that it's gonna, be, it's gonna have necessarily those three things. But you should always know he's your father. Sometimes you may not ask him for anything. Sometimes you just praise him all the time. You just praise him. Sometimes it may be hard to thank him. You just go to God and say, God, help. Hallelujah. Lord, I need your help right now, Lord. Help. But these, again, in general, are the three main things that make up our prayer life. In Matthew chapter Six, and you can go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, if you would, Matthew chapter six. And this morning we're going to begin with verse five. Matthew chapter six, and beginning with verse five. And as you're turning there, let me say that in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapters five through seven, chapters five through seven. That is referred to what is called the ser- Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You ever heard of that before? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the first, or really it is the first teaching dissertation made by Christ recorded in the Gospels. The first teaching dissertation made by the Savior uh, in the Gospels. And it's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three chapters, and if you've got a red-letter Bible, it's almost all red letters. Three chapters of solid teaching from the Savior's mouth. And one of the things that Jesus dealt with and spent some time on, in that Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus was on a mountainside, some believe it was the, uh, the Mount of Olives, and there's different speculations on where it was necessary that the Jesus was. But somewhere in Israel, Jesus was on a mountainside somewhere, very possibly near Jerusalem. Very, again, very possibly, possibly on the Mount of Olives. Jesus began to teach the multitudes. At that time, he had disciples, but he had not yet chosen the 12, specifically. But he had, there was a multitude of people there. Most likely, there were Pharisees there. Most likely, there was, a, there, again, there were many of his disciples, those that were following him at that time. And one of the main things he taught them in the Sermon on the Mount was on the subject of prayer. And it's interesting that when you look at the four Gospels, you'll see that Jesus taught actually quite often on prayer. He really did. He taught quite often on prayer. Actually, in the Gospels, we see that Jesus gave instruction on prayer over 40 times. If you add it up throughout the four Gospels, over 40 times, that's a lot. 
that Jesus gave instruction on prayer. 26 times in the Gospels, the Gospel writers record Jesus praying in some way. 11 times in the Gospel of Luke. 11 times, get this, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke records in some way or form Jesus praying. We read it this morning in Luke 11. In Luke 6, it says that, that Luke records that Jesus often withdrew himself to pray. Jesus often prayed. And it's interesting that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, would emphasize the prayer life of Jesus more than the other Gospel writers would even put together. It was interesting that Luke would do that, what that way, because the reason why is because Luke When he emphasized who Christ was, he emphasized the humanity of Christ more than anything else. Luke emphasized this Christ as the perfect man. John emphasized him as God. You get that? Matthew emphasized him as the king. Mark emphasized him as the servant. But Luke emphasized him as the man. And it's interesting, as Luke was emphasizing his humanity, something that stuck out to him was that Jesus prayed. Jesus often prayed to his Father. You know what that tells us? That tells us that if Jesus, the perfect man, felt the need to get away with God and seek his face, then how much more do you and I? You get that? How much more do you and I? I I know this, I know this as a fact, you and I will never pray like Christ. He had a prayer life, I believe, that was above above all else. Jesus, as a man, felt the need to pray, and in his teachings, one of the things that he dealt with again so much, again four, over 40 times in the Gospels, was in the subject of prayer. And it's interesting as well that when G- Jesus' first words that came out of his mouth as it concerned his teaching on prayer was first and foremost, he told them how not to pray. <laughs> in Matthew chapter 6, And verse 5, if you're there, say amen. Now get this now. This is the first words, the first teaching that Jesus gave as he taught on the subject of prayer. He said in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are. (laughs) Wow. What a way to begin teaching on prayer. When you pray, again, as I mentioned last night, Jesus didn't say if you pray, but when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Wow, again, what a way to start on the subject of prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites. And most likely, there were some Pharisees whom Jesus was referring to in the crowd that day. And the way, again, he began on this subject was by telling them what not to do, how not to pray. And again, he told them, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. 
You know, reading those words for me personally reminds me of something that happened when I was, I believe I was 15 years old. When I was 15 years old is when the Lord, I really felt the Lord's, or I began to recognize, I should say, I began to recognize heavy the Lord's calling upon my life. I thank God I was raised in a Christian home. It wasn't perfect, but no, no family's perfect. But I thank God for a Christian home. And about age 15, is, and through a series of events, and the Lord, the Lord allowed a tragic car accident in my life to, to shake me up. But at 15, I began to heavily recognize God's call upon my life. And one day, uh, I was with some friends, and it was really the Holy Spirit doing this. I was, we, we were doing some stuff, and, and they, were, they were making some plans to do some things, and, 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 uh, and really it wasn't so much specifically what they were doing that the Lord impressed, or the Lord spoke to me necessarily, but the Lord, I was thinking about my friends, basically. I was thinking about them, the friends that I had at that time, this particular group, and they were in, the, in their lives, and I'm not, I'm not being holier than, than thou. I wasn't being then, I'm not being now. But in their lives, there was, a, there was a heavy mixture of just spiritual apathy in their lives. Even in my own life, there was. There was a heavy mixture of complacency, of worldliness there. They weren't smoking, they weren't drinking, they weren't doing all that. But there was a there was a mediocrity in their walk with God. And it was so in my life as well. There was a complacency there. There was a spiritual apathy there. And one day as I was thinking about them and thinking about the situation, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said the, almost exactly these words. But he said it this way. He said, do not be like that. As a 15-year-old teenager, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, do not be like that. And I knew exactly what the Lord was talking about. He was talking about mediocrity. He was talking about spiritual complacency. He was talking about going halfway. And I knew exactly what the Lord was telling me. The Lord was telling me that day, as a 15-year-old boy, he was telling me, don't be like that. I haven't called you to go halfway. I called you to go all the way. And it was not some great emotional experience one day. It was that day. It was just a simple, still voice. Oh, wow. But have you ever had a simple, quiet, still voice shake you up? Oh, that day, that still, quiet voice shook me up, and I knew exactly what the Lord was saying. And as it concerns his disciples and prayer, this is how Jesus began when he said, don't be like them. Don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites. And the hypocrites of that day, basically, the ones Jesus was talking about, were the Pharisees, mainly the Pharisees, and included the scribes who were professional students of the law of that day, of God's law. It included the Sadducees. It included others. But it mainly was the Pharisees. They were the spiritual shepherds of Israel of that day. They were the orthodox Jews of that day. They were the ones that had it going on. They were the ones that, that wore the, the long religious robes. They were the most religious of that day. They, in fact, again, were the spiritual shepherds that directed Israel. 
And Jesus said, do not be like them. Now a hypocrite, as you might know, a hypocrite literally means an actor. You get that? If you're taking notes, for some of you are, a hypocrite literally means an actor. One who wears a mask to veil his true identity. You get that? That's a hypocrite, an actor. One who wears a mask to veil his true identity. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were. They looked real religious, but Jesus said on the inside, you are full of wickedness. Oh, they looked real holy on the inside, but on the inside they were full of dead man's bones. You see, religious wickedness is the worst kind of wickedness. Religious hypocrisy is the worst kind of hypocrisy. That's the kind of hypocrisy that kills people. That's the kind of hypocrisy that keeps many in the world away from church. Just flat out hypocrisy. And there have been so many people, maybe even you yourself in the past, that were hurt by hypocrisy in the church. Now when I say that, understand this, that every single, none of us are perfect, and every single one of us at some time in our life have been a hypocrite. All right? That's just where the rubber meets the road right there. (laughs) We've all been hypocrites. We've all not walked the talk. But what Jesus was dealing with here was a people, a group, who were spiritual leaders, who were appearing to be righteous in the outward, but on the inside there was no righteousness there. Now at the root of the Pharisees' hypocrisy, at their very root was their unbelief in Christ. You get that? At the very root of their hypocrisy was their unbelief in Jesus. And because of their unbelief in Christ, they were establishing and they were walking in their own righteousness. You get that? At the very root of their hypocrisy was the fact that they did not believe and they were establishing, they were walking, they were functioning in their own means of righteousness. Their own way of righteousness. That was at the very root of their hypocrisy. And because they were walking in their own way of righteousness and not God's way of righteousness, they were flat out hypocrites. Again, looking holy on the outside, but on the inside they were full of wickedness. Now get this, this is critically important. That the way that you and I stay out of hypocrisy on a continual basis I'm talking about because none of us are perfect. But the way that you and I stay out of the hypocrisy that Jesus was dealing with here is that you and I live by faith, dependence in Christ and his finished work at Calvary. Oh, you mean everything goes back to the cross again? Yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, you're talking about the cross. Oh, yes, it does. It all goes back to Calvary. It all goes back to the cross. And the way that you and I stay out of that type, that hypocrisy, is by living a life 
leaning on it is finished. Believing, looking, depending on the fact that he gave us righteousness through his death at the cross. And not we ourselves. That is that the very root, that is the very cause of how you and I stay out of hypocrisy. When you and I are not leaning on our own righteousness, but I'm leaning on the righteousness of God through Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, I can't emphasize it enough. Even though you probably heard it. I know I hear it all the time. But you know, it, it, it should never get old. It should never get old. Not our righteousness, but his righteousness. When he said, when he said it is finished, at that very moment, he met all the righteous requirements of God. At that very moment. And what he was meaning by that is the righteousness that you need has just been paid for. It's just been given. I just did it all for you. Hallelujah. And you can't do squat without me. I did it all for you. Hallelujah. And you, God has called us as his children to live a life of dependency, not mental ascent. You get that? Not mental ascent to it, not just a head knowledge, but a leaning on it continually every single day, dependent upon the finished work of Christ, his righteousness, and not my own. And that we know through the message of the cross, we know through the message of the cross that it is not us, it is him. And it's that understanding again, that knowing without Christ, I don't have anything. Without it is finished, I don't got anything. I have nothing. The knowledge of that, get this, the knowledge of that and the living in the knowledge of that every day, the living with the understanding of that, I don't have nothing. Without it is finished. The knowledge of that on a regular basis, you know what it does? It keeps us humble. It keeps us humble. The Lord told Isaiah, this is the one I look upon, him who is of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. One who is broken at the foot of Calvary, knowing that I have absolutely nothing. I have no righteousness to offer anybody. I have no righteousness. It's God's, it's God's righteousness. In reality, that's the basis of our prayer life right there. I have been made righteous by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Wow. I have been declared righteous. He is developing his righteousness in me as I grow in the Lord, as I live by faith in the finished work of Christ. That is the way that is at the very root of how you and I stay out of that hypocrisy. Anybody want to be a hypocrite here? Anybody? Okay, then live by faith then. Oh, my Lord Jesus, live by dependency, leaning on the finished work of Christ every single day. Christ was our example in prayer and of course, he was the righteous one. The first thing he told us again in Matthew chapter 
6 was don't be like the hypocrites. Again, what will keep us from that hypocrisy is not leaning upon the abundance of our works, but leaning upon the abundance of his grace manifested at the cross. It's not the abundance of what we do, it's the abundance of what he did. That is the proper attitude and foundation of our prayer life. In verse six, in verse five, I'm sorry, he continues and he says, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. You see, their prayer, they viewed their activity in prayer as their means of righteousness. You get that? They viewed their activity in prayer as their means of righteousness. Uh, We are righteous because of what we do. And we do it a lot and we do it good. Oh my Lord, we even look good praying. It's through ignorance and either through ignorance or through false teaching or through flat out pride or unbelief, there are so many believers today that are viewing prayer. They would never say this with their mouth. You get that? Because they know it's not doctrinally correct. But in practice, in their life, what they are doing is they are using prayer and they are using other activities as a means of righteousness to God. That I am right with God because of what I do. I know that's the way it was for me. I won't go through my old testimony, but I know that's the way it was for me before I understood the message of the cross. I thought I would, ever, I would have never said this with my mouth because I knew it wasn't right doctrinally, scripturally. But in my spirit, that's exactly what I was doing because I didn't know. I never heard that grace comes through Calvary. That freedom now as a believer Freedom from the power of sin. That grace comes to me now as a believer comes through just simple faith in the cross. I didn't know that. And so ignorantly, I myself, and I know I'm not alone. If we went through here today, we'd have the same testimony. I know over and over again. And But there are millions of believers who are doing this exact thing. Viewing what they do as a means of righteousness. And get this, if you don't understand that our righteousness, and I'm not talking about understanding it up here, but I'm talking about knowing it in your spirit, knowing it on the inside, that righteousness only comes through faith in the cross. And grace, saving grace, sanctifying grace, only comes through simple faith in Calvary. And it is finished, if you don't know that, And if you love the Lord, especially if you love God, you will ignorantly use activities as a means of being right before God. You understand what I'm saying? Am I making sense this morning? You will use your activities as a means of being right before God. You'll even use prayer as a means of being right before the Lord. That because I pray, and because I pray a lot, man, God is up in heaven with a big smile on his face. But if I don't pray, if I have a bad day, oh, God's up in heaven with a big frown on his face. And the life of living under law is one of pride. Oh, I feel good because I, oh, I did a lot today. Or I witnessed to three people, or I did that. 
or I did this. I feel good. Oh, but when I don't pray, when, I, when, I, when, when something happened, I didn't have time, and, and I didn't read my, I didn't do this, and didn't do, didn't do that. Oh, man, condemnation. Yeah. Condemnation. God's up in heaven with a big frown on his face. Oh, and if you know what, if you get into that, if you live that life, and I, I'm saying this from personal experience, you live that life, and eventually you'll start thinking that God loves you based, you based on what you do. I do a lot, God loves me a lot. Do a little, God loves me little. Do nothing, God doesn't love you at all. It's law. Give me this law. And that is not the Lord's way. God's way is by grace through faith <laughs> in the finished work of Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit, that the very root of it is simply living by faith, living by dependence in the finished work of Christ. And you and I need to live and, 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 and pray, have a prayer life on that foundation of faith, grace through faith. You see, the Pharisees were using their prayer as a means of righteousness, and their reward was that men saw them. You get that? Their righteousness was their activity. Their reward was the eyes of men seeing them. The eyes of men seeing them. But Jesus said this in verse six. And again, if you're there, say amen. He said, but you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who, which is in the secret, and your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Wow, what a statement. He said, when you pray, you go into your secret place. You go into your closet. And what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is not making a law. All right? Well, Jesus said, I, Jesus said, I have to pray in a closet. And man, I don't have a closet. Oh, man. What's... No, he's not making some kind of law. Like, I, you know, what, G what Jesus was referring to was a four by six room. Unless you pray in a four by six room, it's not real prayer. No, Jesus was not saying that, of course. That's, that's law. And that's what Jesus was giving here. He was setting a principle comparing how they prayed compared to how you and I as God's children should pray. They prayed openly for all to see, and that was their motivation. Look at me, look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. Look at me, look at me, I'm righteous. Look at me, look at me, I'm righteous. He said, don't be like that. Don't be like that, don't be like that. When you pray, you get alone. You go into your secret closet your secret place, a private chamber. And again, he wasn't making some kind of law out of it necessarily. Not necessarily, he wasn't making a law out of it at all. <laughs> but what he was doing, he was comparing their prayer life to how you and I should pray. You and I are to pray to be seen by God or to be under with the understanding that our Father sees us. You get that? You and I should pray with the understanding that wherever we go, if it's in your car, that car is a, a secret closet. You get that? 
If you're praying on your motorcycle, you're, that motorcycle is a secret closet. Hallelujah. Oh, I remember just, uh, it was just a few days ago, and, and, and uh, uh, I, I was preparing for, uh, I think it was Thursday, uh, yesterday morning, and uh, it was Wednesday afternoon, actually, and I was getting ready, and I didn't, nothing was cutting, and I, I just didn't feel the flow coming. And if you're a minister, you understand what I'm saying, and I just didn't, you know, and I, I, I was praying, and I, but I just felt like the Lord was just saying, okay, it's enough right now. You know what I did? I went running. <laughs> I went running. I ran two miles over there to the catching building. I run for, that's what I do for exercise, and I began to run. You know, when I was, I was running there on that track, you know what? That track became my secret closet. Hallelujah. And I tell you, I was running. I wasn't wearing my iPod. <laughs> uh, I wasn't wearing nothing like that. I was just, there was other people running, but you know what? The Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I was praying as I was running, and the Holy Spirit began to deal with my heart about what he wanted me to say, the direction he wanted me to take. Now get this, you and I, I think as a precedent, in general, you and I should always have some time alone with God, away from the activity of life. You understand what I'm saying? Away from the distractions. Just you and I with the Lord. Whether it's, and that's just between you and I, between, not between you and I, between you and the Lord. Whether it's 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, five minutes, that's between you and God, not between you and your preacher. Or you and somebody, somebody's book. It's between you and God how much time you spend in prayer. But you and I should have a, on a regular basis, should have some time in the day whether morning or evening or afternoon, when you and I just get along with our Heavenly Father and all the, all the distractions are put aside and we just say, God, touch us. You and I should have that time of prayer set aside and that's between you and the Lord. When and how long? Understand that? But he said, when you pray, you go into your secret closet he said this with your awesome words. You pray to your Father, which is in secret. Wow. Our Father, your Father, is in the secret place. No matter where you are, reality, no matter where you are, there your God is. Even if, even if it's in the midst of all kind of distraction, it's just you and God. And when you cry out to your heavenly Father, you don't even have to open up, your open up your mouth, just in your spirit. Your Father sees in secret. Hallelujah. Your Father sees you no matter where you are. Why is that so important? Because especially when you and I are going through difficult times, when you and I are going through affliction and going through the valley, that's the time when we feel like, God, where are you? God doesn't see me right now. Oh, you wouldn't say that with your mouth necessarily, but that's how you feel. But you got to know at that time the most that your father who he sees, oh, Jesus, hallelujah, your father, he sees, he sees us in the secret place. And he said this, and your father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. What a statement. 
your father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Get this, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a possibility that Jesus gave. That was a promise that Jesus gave. That when God's people come to him in faith and love and they get to him in the secret place and they cry out to him, your God, he said, will reward you openly. Hallelujah. There's gonna, you're not praying you're not really praying for the reward. You get that? You're not, you're not, it's not a works righteousness thing. It's not, well, I spend so much time and so God blesses me so much like that. No, 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 no. It's not that. It's the understanding. It's the knowledge that my God is a blessing God. He's a good God and he's going to take care of his own. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, hallelujah, God takes care of his own. God, my God, my Father is gonna reward me openly. He's gonna take care of me. Whoa, Jesus said he'll reward you openly. He didn't mean there that, that he's gonna exalt you, that everybody's gonna. He's not talking about pride. He's talking about his blessing in your life. He's talking about his manifest blessing in your life in a public way. Hallelujah. I said in a, in a, in a, in a, in a man, physically manifested way, he will bless you. He'll bless you. I remember Brother Swagger just a few weeks ago, he was telling the people that on a Sunday morning, he was telling the people how the Lord had been dealing with his heart about, about I think it was some needs in the ministry here, but he had impressed upon Brother Swaggart's heart that God takes care of his own. Now, an earthly father takes care of his own, right? If, if, if an earthly father doesn't take care of his own, then he's not a good earthly father. But an average earthly father at least does something to take care of his own. But our heavenly father, who is the perfect father, he takes care of his own, and you and I are God's possession. You and I should go to God in prayer with faith and love, understanding that God's gonna take care of me. Oh, I don't feel it. You may not necessarily, because we're not talking about a feeling here. Even though we will feel it at times, we're talking about an understanding and a knowledge. It's a part of our very spirit. Turn, turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Some of you, I'm sure, could, could quote this by memory. This is one of those good refrigerator verses, good verses to know by heart. But Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and when you get there, if you don't mind, I'll say it again, say amen. amen. All right, praise the Lord. He said this, the author of Hebrews, he said, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. You see that? For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that, for he that comes to God... For he that comes to God, I believe there in the words of the 
the author of Hebrews, and he wasn't just talking about our initial salvation experience, but I think he was talking about us as believers on a regular basis when we come to him in prayer. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, believe that God is. Oh, that's good. That's, that's awesome. You must believe that God is. God is what? God is everything you need him to be. Hallelujah. God is your healer. He is your righteousness. He is your provider. He is your strength. He is your refuge. He's your father. He's your mother. He's your wife. He's your husband. He's it all. God is. We that comes to God, believe that. Must believe that he is. And get this. And that he is a what? A rewarder of them who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm thankful that you, you and I this morning, that you and I serve a God who blesses and rewards his people. He said he will reward those who diligently seek him. Now again, how long it is that you, you and I seek the Lord, that's between you and the Lord. But you know what? You and I as believers need to feel that unction on the inside that says, God, I need you. God, I need you. And if you don't move in this situation, then nothing good will ever get done. He is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. That's what he is. He's a rewarder of them who diligently seek his face. Do we believe that or not? That's the big question. Do we really believe that? In the book of Colossians, and you can turn there if you would in your Bible as well. The book of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to close today with some scriptures that Paul gave on prayer Colossians chapter 2 and verse, chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 2. Colossians 4 and verse 2 through 4. Paul said this. He said, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all pray, also praying for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I like that the New King James Version in verse 2 when Paul said, Paul said this, continue earnestly in prayer and be vigilant in it with thanksgiving. He was telling the Colossian believers, be vigilant in prayer. Be earnest in your prayer. In other words, he was saying, don't give up. Keep on seeking the face of God. Why? So you would pray that the word of God would go forth. That God would open up a door of opportunity to speak his word. What should you and I be praying today in our time? God, open up the doors that the message of the cross would go forth. God, bring in the funds that are needed. God, bring in more radio stations. God, do it. Do it, Lord. 
He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will do it. Not, now get this, not for the abundance of our words. Not because we just did it, did it, did it, did it. Because, not because of we, we, we. But just simply, follow, just simply because we are believing and we're following what God has told us to do. We're walking, if you, if you're, if you have a prayer life, you know what, you're, you're obeying God. <laughs> you get that? You're obeying your Father. It's not some law, some ritual, some regiment again. It's a living, ongoing relationship with God. You're talking to your Father. And you know what, you're obeying God, and God blesses obedience. And turn to the book of Philippians, if you would, Philippians chapter four and verse six. Philippians chapter four and verse six. Paul said this, he said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. One translation says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything, but through prayer, bring every need to the Father. Wow. Hallelujah. Don't try to carry that burden yourself. You bring it to the Lord. You bring it to your Father. Hallelujah. Because your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. Hallelujah. God takes care of his own. But bring it to your Father in everything. In everything, bring it to God. Be anxious for nothing. The last, one of the last things that Jesus did in his early ministry, one of the last things he did before he would be crucified, before he would be taken, arrested, and scourged, Luke chapter 19 tells us, again, one of the last things he did, he walked into the temple. You probably read the story before or heard it. He walked into the temple, and he drove out the money changers. He drove them out. He overturned the tables. Jesus was upset. He did this at the beginning, and he did it at the end of his ministry. He was full of righteous indignation. Because there were those in the temple, in God's house, that were merchandising the people. They were exploiting the people. They had turned God's house into a place of personal business and personal gain. He said, you've made God ha God's house a den of thieves. When Jesus drove out those money changers, he said this as well. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Hallelujah. Not some work of righteousness, not some religious duty, not, not you putting your mat down again and just going back and forth as if it's some kind of dead ritual, but a living, ongoing relationship, just talking to your Father. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now get this, this was, that was under the Old Testament economy. How much more is it now under the new covenant? You and I, the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
You get that? You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you what God's plan is as you and I live by faith, as you and I go through this life depending on the finished work of Calvary and receiving his sanctifying grace in our life. You know what the Holy Spirit will do? And what he's doing in us, or at least attempting to do in us, he is attempting that this temple be full of prayer. Hallelujah. Be full of worship. Be full of petitioning. Hallelujah. Paul would say, he would say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he would say, Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Wow. Pray without ceasing. Was he talking about some getting on your knees and standing in your room all day? No, he was talking about a lifestyle. Oh, my Lord, gee, that's good. A lifestyle that this temple, that this temple, the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit is full. The incense of prayer the incense of worship, the incense of petitioning God in faith and love is just constantly flowing. You, you follow what I'm saying? That no matter where you are, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as the temple of God, on the inside, there's something happening on the inside. You're, you, somehow, some, you're not, and you and I know this practically speaking, you and I know that we're not talking to God all the time. You, you and I know that. We're not praying all the time necessarily, all, just always seeking the face of God. You and I know that. But what Paul was meaning, he wasn't meaning that. Paul was meaning as we go through our day, as we go through our life, really in every waking moment, in some shape or form, in some shape or form, when, we're, when you're in the car, when you're at, 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 in your bed, laying, laying in your bed, going to sleep at night, when you, wake up in the, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you follow what I'm saying? It's, there's prayer there. There's worship there. There's petitioning there. There's a, oh, my Father is there. Lord, teach us and help us to pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, right now. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're a good God. <laughs> Lord, we have so much to thank you for. We have so much to thank you for, oh God. And Father, today, as one with one voice, God, we worship you. We thank you, oh God. You're a good God to us. And we thank you, Lord, that it's not through the abundance of our words. It's through the abundance of your grace that you've given us through the cross that we receive anything. Well, with that understanding, we ask that you would help us to pray. Teach us to pray. And we believe that, God, you will reward your people. You will bless your people, and you will answer prayer. We thank you, Lord, for it. And, God, today we say it all in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen.